Hi, welcome back to the CIO Show. I'm David Benning, Associate Editor, CIO. In this land of droughts and flooding rains, terrifying bushfires, earthquakes, and now ever more emboldened cyber villains exploiting the pandemic, having a proper disaster recovery plan is critical to maintaining business continuity, regardless of what calamity might befall you and your organization. As we all know, being offline and or being denied access to critical data and systems can have devastating consequences even if only for a few hours, let alone days and weeks, which means CIOs, CISOs, and the wider executive, especially in industries like healthcare, need to revisit and in many cases, completely revise their plans for defense and response. Joining me now, uh, Joe Stewart-Rattray, who is the Chief Information Security Officer with Home Care Specialist Silver Chain Group. Joe, welcome to the CIO Show. Thank you, David. And also Andrew Milroy, who's Principal Advisor with Analyst Firm Ecosystem. Andrew, welcome to the CIO Show to you as well. Thanks, David. It's great to be here. Awesome. Now, Joe, if I could start with you. Obviously, we're in very difficult times. COVID, extremely sharp increase in cybersecurity incidences. In your view, how should CISOs, CIOs and organisations more broadly be recalibrating their thinking and approaches to disaster recovery and business continuity today? I think it's that's a good question. I think it's actually about resilience these days. I think the problem is that to the old fashioned, very formal approach is terrific and we still need it. I'm not saying we don't, but I think we absolutely need to be more resilient about it and be flexible about it. We need to be looking at those DR plans much more often than we do. Mm. Uh, whenever there's a change in the environment, we should be looking at them. We should be determining how they need to change. And we do need to make sure that we have good playbooks in place because even the most hardened engineer can fall apart when you know it's a real fair dinkum uh, crisis has occurred, right? And you're about to invoke the, the DR plan. I also think it's about responding to incidents these days. What we once just referred to as an incident can actually have far reaching consequences. So we have to make sure we have our uh, plays in place for those incidents as well. What do you reckon, Andrew? I think that those are very good points. I think that, uh, you know, to your earlier point, I think we're moving away from the traditional way of looking at business continuity and disaster recovery to focusing more on building business resilience. Yeah. And it's much more multifaceted today than it was like back in the day, people focused on having these standby sites that they could that they could set up if, if, if some disaster impacted one site there'd be another site they could they could go to that was you know traditionally the approach and everything will be up and running in that these days uh you know it's not to say that you rule that out entirely it's useful to have these backup sites but you know people use cloud much more for backup there are all kinds of backup services you can get in the cloud and the the threat that organizations face today the threat landscape is changing in the sense that cybersecurity is a much bigger issue yeah. so when people build in resilience they have to take into account cybersecurity threats that can knock the business out for a significant period of time whereas in the past cybersecurity threats didn't have quite the same impact and nothing like the same the same frequency mm -hmm. uh, so i think you know the whole cyber security issue ransomware and so forth is becoming a, a much bigger issue that needs to be addressed today and i think you hit on a really good point there or kind of and it just led me to think about cross-functional collaboration 
Mm-hmm. So again, it's that being more flexible, it's thinking differently about resilience and about what would have been seen as traditional DR, because I think you actually have to make sure that you have the right people on site within the organisation, as well as having those trusted external advisors to come in where necessary as well. You know, I th- straight away think of facilities, for instance, you know, if you don't have the facilities people on site and you're not working with them, that can also bring you down to your knees as well, because oftentimes whilst you might not have to move sites, you might actually need some of their input to allow you to get get in places that you need to, or they might be responsible for UPS, all sorts of things like that, that you need to really, or or the backup generator. So all of that is really important. I think also that notion of yours of alternative methodologies for DR is really important as well. It's not that traditional method any longer. Interesting, Joe. Yeah, for sure. Interesting, Joe, at the top, you you used the term playbook did you do that deliberately to um and as distinct from an actual plan i mean is is a playbook is is that term implicit that a playbook is more detailed and maybe and and to also to your point more potentially cross-functional oh yes i think look i still think you have to have a plan I mean, life life is a plan. I mean, you have to have a you have to have a plan there. But I also think life, that life advice on the CIO show. Yeah, that's it. We can do that too if you like. Yes. Um, but you absolutely need the plan, which is the high level bit, right? But you need the playbooks, the step by steps, how you're going to do it. Lots of screenshots, all sorts of things, and they have to be kept up to date. So they have to be changed whenever there is a change in your environment and I know that sounds like an impost but believe me when it comes to uh, a real disaster and having lived through two or three of those you Mm -hmm. actually really need that sort of level of of information uh, available to your people because even the most seasoned professional can come come unstuck when they recognize that this is it this is the real deal yeah and so, Joe, you just referenced uh, three disasters. The journalist in me can't resist but uh, to pry and, um, and and ask of you a little bit more detail about those disasters. What um, What's one of them that you could share with us and, and, and what happened? I think the one that you like the best, David, because we've had a chat about this before, is when I was working, uh, I, was, I was a CIO in the electricity space and yes. uh, the building was hit by lightning, yes, which is right. kind of funny in itself right we were hit by lightning and uh, you're only allowed in critical infrastructure you're only allowed a few system minutes outage per annum so immediately we go into overdrive we're about to have to fail over all this sort of stuff and going oh my gosh does that site is that site going to come up and we're having all of these you know momentary things and we knew that one of the hubs had been hit and I happened to have a guy working for me who was um, a, a bit of a a device nerd yeah and he said to me I think I've actually got one of those hubs down in my car I bought a whole bunch off you know off some some site and I just picked them all up and I said you're kidding me he said no and this thing was almost out of life but he loved to tinker so he hops off down to his car sure enough he has one of these hubs in his car brings it back up gets it up and running and I think we we lost about half a minute system time out so you know, the moral of that story is make sure you have um, that kind of nerd on your team. Yeah. You know, make sure they're on your team. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was that was absolutely just sheer good luck. Yeah. But it worked in our favour. And, 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 and if that, you hadn't had that good luck? We would have been failing over to the alternate site and hopefully it, it came up. 
because it hadn't been tested for a little while, which gave me, you know, and I'm airing the dirty laundry here. And, and that's what really made me start to focus on, on DR and, and the kind of resilience that you need. It's all very well, particularly in critical mm. infrastructure, it's all very well to have this fantastic site, but you need to make sure it is actually going to come up when you fail over to it. Yeah. So, so did you guys have a specific incident response plan in place that you were following step by step? Yes, we did. Okay. Um, but as I said to you... It said was, somewhat defensively there. Anyway, so go on. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, we did. But the, the interesting thing about it, this is where I started to realise that mm. even the most seasoned professionals start to get a bit panicky because I looked at my team yeah. and, you know, I was one of the first CIOs in Australia to have real-time operations in my portfolio as well as business IT. So I've got the engineers who are you know, really beavering away to make sure the operational control system stays up and running. And I've got the business IT people, but on both sides, there were people who were starting to look a little pallid. So that was when I realised that you actually have to make sure that what you've got is, is going to work in that time. I think for large companies, a rehearsal is pretty important as well, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, a lot of this is to do with your risk appetite, how much you're willing to invest in these kinds of plans. You know, some organisations like, look, we're willing to take more risk here than others. But you know, I think if you really want to to, 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 to to get the risk as tiny as possible, you need you really need to rehearse it. Because if you think about other kinds of incidents like in planes or ships or whatever they are, we're all kind of we all kind of know what to do. But if something did happen, uh, you know, quite often in planes, there isn't necessarily a, a crash, so to speak. But, you know, I know of people who have been on planes when the oxygen masks have dropped, and there's been, you know, very bad turbulence and so on. And how do people react? They tend to panic, right? So uh, so in, 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 a, in, in a major incident, I think within, within organizations, there's a tendency for people to, you know, not, not go by the book. I think that's, that's yeah. just kind of and human I, nature. But, I, but if, you re if you rehearse it sufficiently, uh, then people are much more likely yeah, it still to, happens. you know, to, to, it really it still happens, Andrew, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was what, that was my point is, you see, to yeah. me, the rehearsal, as you call it, I don't think I call it that. Anyway, the rehearsal, it sounds like I'm rehearsing for a, you know, play, <laughs> or, play. A, yeah. Yeah. Or, or, you know, to go on stage with something. How would you describe it? Testing it out? Or what would it be yeah, a better test. way of I'd call it a test. Um, test. Yeah. You know, we tested regularly, but, and when I say regularly, it was about quarterly. But if you haven't been to that backup site in the last three months, yeah. you know, you suddenly go, uh, is it going to come up? Right. Because another experience was when the backup just doing a rehearsal, as you would call it, doing a rehearsal to see if we could fail over to the other site, nothing happened. It was just dead as a dodo. So that was fine. Abort, abort. And, and I, a couple of us hopped in the car and went to the, the site, which was mm. uh, 30 kilometres away from our, our home base, to discover that there had been a rodent uh, attack and in fact lots of wiring had been chewed mm. through and that's why it didn't yeah. come up right. so that's I mean that was something that nobody foresaw um, but you know who thought we were going to have in the in the suburbs a rodent attack but it happened this is the first time I've, I've, I've heard rodents come up in the conversation about mm. uh, recovering business continuity Joe, I mean that those that scenario and the scenario just to relate about the electricity utility, unthinkable one would imagine in your current role. Tell us a little bit more about about Silverchain Group and the, you know, the important work that you're doing. A fairly, a fairly specific and, and very uh, sensitive high risk area of healthcare. Well, that's right. It's in home hospital care no. for across the board. It's not just in the aged care range. It's anybody who might need 
in-home hospital care, uh, right through to traditional aged care. So we have a lot of frontline workers um, who rarely go to a to a, a site or a nursing station. So we have to have incredible connectivity. We have to um, they have to be able to pick up a mobile device and be able to plug in to get the information that they need about that that client that they are about to treat or that they are treating. So, you know, it's 24 seven, 365 days a year. So it is incredibly important that we also have ease of use as well for frontline workers, because these people are nurse clinicians, they might be physicians, they might be physiotherapists, a whole range of people. Uh, and so technology for them is not core to their business. It's an adjunct to help them do their job. So it's a different way of thinking about this, this, these processes as well. We enable any organisation to use any technology. We help all companies become technology companies, protecting the identity of both workforces and customers. Connecting the right people to the right technology at the right time. Okta. One trusted platform to secure every identity in your organisation. And Andrew, being a cybersecurity specialist in particular, you and I were discussing recently about how more and more organisations are looking to the cloud as a sort of you know core pillar in their in their business continuity and disaster recovery planning and and resilience efforts. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think, I mean, it's not just the cloud, but I think the cloud does, you know, especially with everybody working remotely and with this, with, you know, the, the pandemic that we're, I guess, you know, still seemingly in the middle of, uh, but it never seems to end, but, but cloud has played a, a major role in enabling organizations to be able to handle all this remote working. Right, so people have obviously been able to access these 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 resources from whatever location that they're in, and basically the most important, the main thing that they need is is connectivity. So it's kind of changed just the, the way people have started looking at business continuity. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, given that you got this distributed workforce that actually nobody had really had really planned for <laughs> before the before the pandemic kicked in. But yeah. to your cybersecurity point. It's created lots of, of new opportunities for the threat actors, and we've seen, uh, you know, the emergence—I wouldn't say the emergence, but the, the the rapid growth of ransomware, for example. And ransomware is having a, a a very traumatic and disruptive impact, especially when the malware is embedded in updates from perfectly legitimate service providers or, or, or partners or people in the software supply chain that that we've that we've seen happening recently. And it's fiendishly difficult to defend yourself against. So what do you do when that happens? What do you do when you get this, this, this ransom message? So I think a lot of organizations are wrestling with, you know, how they update their incident response plans to handle that. When you're, when you're under, I mean, do you, do you pay the ransom? I mean, some people don't have much choice, right? If it's critical infrastructure used in healthcare and people's lives are, you know, are potentially threatened, you're likely to just want to get things back running as soon as possible. Um, you know, so there are certain situations where you will pay it, but then there are so there are legal issues emerging around that. So it's becoming a complex issue in its own right. And there are ways in which you can look to defend against ransomware. I mean, this concept of so-called immutable backup. Yes. And there are there are technology solutions to immutable backup because one of the things the ransomware actors do 
is they look at what your backup might be and they make sure that you, that that's not going to work for you yeah. uh, you know when the attack takes place so that's the you know a lot of these actors are very sophisticated and that that's one of the key things they have to do make it impossible for you to get things back up and running again yeah. and there's some techniques that you need to put in place associated with the cloud right to 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 make sure that you um you know that you're your best place to handle it so certainly have something that's immutable or separated in the cloud i mean there was this three two one backup philosophy people used to have in the past which was basically you have two backups and different media and then you have something off-site today i would say you'd have something air gaps right <laughs> and then you'd have you know maybe a cloud and then maybe some some physical on-premise system as system as well yeah. and in that cloud whatever cloud service you have just make sure that you have uh, backup as part of that as well so very often you will so the big providers will typically offer you know backup automatically built in and you can pay a bit extra to have you know backup in different geographic locations but yeah from a cybersecurity perspective we're wrestling with a whole bunch of of you know fast rapidly growing types of threat in terms of frequency and impact and we really do need to refine our plans to address those threats yeah i mean of course the, you know it makes sense that the cloud's going to play a, a, um, a more central role in all of this but of course organizations can't take it for granted that they're always going to be online right? i mean if we leave aside cyber attacks i mean yes. you know, of course living in australia there's all sorts of incidents that could result in an organization being kicked offline bushfires uh, floods and now, of course, more recently, earthquakes in Victoria. Who knew that would happen? What yeah, What about that connectivity issue? Yeah, yeah mean, what about that connectivity a... issue? I think that's a really, really good point. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you're right. I mean, I live in the bush, so uh, that's really an issue uh, for for me to consider. And I, I think you're right. You know, we have changed the way that we work so that this has become this is now more or less the norm that I think we will see a far more distributed workforce. So therefore we are going to see those connectivity issues. I mean, I just heard today that, that I think it's on the something or other of October, there will be a, a nine hour outage potentially in my region. So that means that I'm gonna have to go somewhere else if I wanna connect for that whole day. Wow. And that's a discussion that, that we have continually with telecommunications providers, because yeah. saying that you can't do that to business, you know, such a huge percentage of Australian business is small business. You cannot afford to take people offline yeah. for these extended periods of time, because that is a disaster in itself for us, right? That's a financial disaster yeah. as well as everything else. Yeah. I mean, we're overly dependent on connectivity. Obviously, it exposes us to new risks, yes. uh, but we are over dependent because back in those days of the, you know, of the hot and warm and cold standby sites, people weren't assuming internet connectivity all of the time. They, they'd think, oh, there's an earthquake here or, you know, some kind of disaster that affects this office. Then you move into another office and you can just, you can function, you can function as normal. But if your connectivity is taken out, you know, the, let's say in Australia, let's say, you know, the two big networks, or how many are there now? The big networks, uh, you know, are, t are taken out. Uh, you're in a very uh, challenging situation. And, and one of the most important things to do in the event of a disaster is to communicate, right? To communicate mm -hmm. the first priority is the health and safety of your, your employees. So it's to communicate. So really, the way to manage that risk best is to have as many modes of communication as possible. So hopefully, 
I mean, again, landlines are dying a death, but it would it would make sense for people to mm -hmm. to still to still keep landlines as well as obviously the the you know the mobile connectivity. So you've both got you've got the data and the the regular voice as well. So yeah, uh, then yeah. you've got email as well. But again, if you're if you're if your Wi-Fi is down, so I guess you'd have to take out a bunch of networks now or a bunch of connection points for somebody to be completely uncontactable. But that's feasible. In yeah. the event of a major physical disaster, that's totally, totally possible. Yeah. So, uh, so I think, I think that's, uh, you know, a challenge that's very difficult to, to overcome. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and but you're right about landlines. I mean, that's one thing that, again, you know, coming back to the, the bush, that's one of the things that, that most people in the bush will still have a landline available to them for that reason, because we can get taken out much more easily than, than, than yeah. the city. Yeah. And Andrew, you, you raise an interesting point about the need for organizations to ensure their actual business continuity slash um, DR plans are that those plans themselves are secured and it might seem like the bleeding obvious I'm just wondering Joe what your thoughts are on that as well like you know here's your plan but don't don't rule out the possibility that the bad guys know exactly where your plan is and maybe and may have designs on it and not even, not only that, it's a case of, can you actually access it? If it's a right. connectivity issue, are you actually going to be able to access your plan if it's only held in the cloud yeah. or if it's only held on your on-prem service, you know? So this is a case for perhaps the old fashioned hard copy sometimes comes yeah, into play right. here, right? And, and you've got to have it in a couple of different places, secured, but so as you can easily get to it. So uh, that's the other thing, because the number of times that I've done in my, Old, old days in professional services where I've actually been to organisations that have gone, oh yeah, we've got this great plan. We know we can only survive for a few hours uh, without going bust. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we can put somebody on an aircraft, get them to Melbourne, like private aircraft. This company was not short of a quid. Mm -hmm. um, company aircraft, get, get them on a private aircraft, get them to Melbourne. Everything's beautiful. Thank you very much. And I said, so, and what about your plan? Oh, that's on site. That's yeah. on site. Yes. Oh, on the servers, of course. It's like, really? So it's kind of like, yeah, but what happens? Your site, you can't get to your site, you can't, yeah. and you've got a connectivity issue, you can't connect. What do you do then? Ooh, hadn't been thought of. So oftentimes it can be the simplest thing that can bring the best plan yeah. unstuck. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. So I think in a way we need to go back to basics. So when we're looking at these plans and say, look, guys, you know, we still need, you know, landlines still have a role to play, for example. You know, it's probably very important. It's probably if people are working at home, maybe, you know, help help ensure that they have landlines. They're not very expensive these days. Uh, and landlines, to, not the other VoIP. Just saying. Not yes, VoIP. not VoIP. So not VoIP. Yes, that's right. Uh, and also try to ensure that there are physical printouts of, of, of the physical documents still available to, to key people that they have access to. Yeah. Uh, and though those could be, I mean, I know that some highly regulated, you know, in the financial services sector, there's often, you know, pressure to have certain, you know, physical documentation available. Accountants yeah. as well. So some accounting processes, they still throw, you know, quite frustrating. You go, well, in this day and age, why are they still insisting in physical receipts and so on? But there's often, you know, for regulatory compliance reasons, a need for, you know, uh, for physical documentation to exist as well, and I think that's that's likely to to increase. Yeah, and Joe, you know, in your role at Silverchain Group, are you 
are you finding that you're having different conversations with the you know with the executive about business continuity and disaster recovery i mean surely they must be more uh, alert not not only to the to the heightened um, tempo of threats but also their greater accountability for ensuring that their organizations continue running Oh, absolutely. But I think that it's the interesting thing is that I talk on a regular basis to the Audit and Risk Committee, which is a standing committee of board. So, uh, and they are very um, much attuned to particularly cyber. So this they see as part of cyber, if you like, the disaster recovery piece. So uh, yes, there's definitely a, a, a concern about it. And there's definitely some uh, intelligent thinking behind it as well, uh, which is is great, you know, because a lot of organisations can be very much, um, yes, we need it. Oh God, it's going to cost us how much? But that's not not what I'm uh, coming across at all. I think the other thing too, when it comes to uh, my organisation, it's it's not necessarily a really different way of thinking because of again the kind of business that we are that we have all those amazing clinical road warriors so we've always had to think about how do we continue to support them if the worst happens yeah. is that what you're finding too andrew that that conversation is perhaps changing between the tech leaders and the business leaders about business continuity and disaster recovery yeah, well, I mean, I think there's always an issue with getting those guys to speak the same language in the first place. Yeah, uh, I think one of the important conversations that the, 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 the senior business decision makers need to have, as I alluded to a little bit earlier, is just kind of risk appetite. So the, the, more, the more you decide to invest, the more you can put in place, the, the lower the risk exposure you've got in the event of a disaster, uh, whether it be a physical one or a virtual one, so to speak. Uh, and I think that that's the kind of language those guys speak in, the, the technical guys, it's the solution. So, so that senior management layer needs to come out and say, well, this is what we're willing to tolerate. And this is the kind of plan that we need to put in place. And the technical guys really need, you know, at the end of the day to come back and say whether it's something that can be implemented or not from a, from a technical perspective. And if it can, then, then do it. Good point, Andrew. I think it's always about speaking the language of business. You know, yeah. and I think the role of the CISO in today's world is very much one of education and one of communication. So, uh, you know, somebody said to me, what are the six most important words in your, in your vocabulary? Educate, 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 communicate, 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 mm -hmm. as far as yeah. I'm concerned. And that's to the top of the tree and all the way back down. It's about, and, and it's, that is all has to be in the language of business that those individuals understand. So if you're talking yeah. to the board, it's going to be different to talking to the audit committee. It's going to be different yes. to talking to the general executive. It's going to be different That's to right. talking to the person on the front yes. desk or the person who's in a car about to go and visit a client. So you have to make sure you understand the context of the business and, and the uh, method by which it operates mm. to be able to yes. do that. But, but that's, to me, speaking the language of business is our job. Yeah, yes. And, and the, word, the word disaster and disaster recovery, of course, could perhaps make it tempting for certain individuals within organisations to maybe over-dramatise what it means. Joe, you and I were speaking about this recently, that, um, that an incident, we don't, we're not, we don't have to necessarily be talking about disasters, we can just be talking about an incident that could still cause significant disruption without yes. a giant disaster. So there's kind of like, 
cal there's sort of like a, a calibration. There's, a, there's levels of, of concern yeah. that organisations need to be mindful of. I think that's about the governance of the, you know of the process. You need to have some governance in place there about what is what is considered. What do we as an organisation consider to be a disaster, right? And yeah. and and what is an incident and anything in between that you might feel is appropriate yeah. to your business yeah. and and uh, definitely put the parameters around it so it's very obvious and that it's easy to understand. And then the steps that are taken in each one of those cases. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of incidents that have got a huge, let's say, reputational, potentially legal risk, like like data leaks, right? At the moment, yep. for example. Yeah. But that's not necessarily well. That's typically not going to stop your business operations. You know, you'll still you'll still keep going. So to me, a disaster is where the uh, you know the business operations are somehow uh, are somehow stopped. They're interrupted. Yes. Uh, yes. And you can't continue. You've got to you've got to tweak. You've got to make some changes to continue those business operations. But incidents can be you know. You know, data leak is perhaps a perhaps the most common kind of uh, kind of incident uh, that organisations face are, are are identifying you know some kind of nefarious activity going on in your systems or your network so you know some kind of uh, insider activity that is that is not authorised it shouldn't I, be occurring that's an incident absolutely and I think that's a really good point and what's an incident for your business might not be might be a disaster yeah. for my business and vice versa so that's mm -hmm. why I think it has to be done in the context of the business because it's not going to have there's not going to be a, a a line that you can draw across all businesses because that's just yeah. not the way it works anymore yeah and Andrew are you are you finding that there are particular industry verticals that maybe need a little bit more help you would advise to be looking a little bit more inwardly carefully about where disaster recovery etc manufacturing is an industry that comes to mind because of course you know this is this is a sector that is is exponentially yeah. connecting itself to to the internet whereas, yeah yeah i mean i think the pandemic's been an interesting kind of test case for a lot of this yes. uh, you know there are certain types of uh you know again i don't want to be too cloud biased but certain kinds of organizations that have that have got through this, uh, you know, this pandemic better than others, and they tend to be the ones that are. You know, a lot of them are ones that are using more cloud technology, for one of a better way of describing it. But you know, there are a lot of the born in the cloud tech guys, the e-commerce guys, financial services guys have, by and large, you know, managed it comparatively well. And also the remote working of their staff, they've they've managed, you know, relatively well. But we're starting to see. I, I'm surprised that it didn't happen more, but we're starting to see logistics, supply chain issues emerge and they're more acute. You know, these issues around shortage of containers for shipping. And in the UK, there's a lot. Some people are saying maybe it's more Brexit oriented or whatever, but there's still major, uh, you know, major incidents. Not quite sure if you, I guess you could say disasters if, you're, if there's a shortage of, of oil and gas and you need it for, for critical infrastructure. Uh, there, there, are, there are shortages kicking in because somehow some of these plans aren't working or have been as well drawn out as, as, as perhaps they should be. Uh, so we're, you know, we're certainly seeing um, industries, industries like, like logistics, manufacturing, seemingly impacted by what's been happening late, lately to a much greater extent than the other more services-oriented businesses. I mean, I think that's a really good point. We know there's yeah. a a lack of chips at the moment and I don't mean yes. the fish and chips type 
uh, lack of chips. We know that. Thanks, the, <laughs> I just saw it. Uh, it's getting close to that time. Um, I also thought that the. I mean, the other thing too is if you're talking about the UK, there's you know you go back to grassroots lack of truck drivers for goodness sake yes so that impacts all of us you know because there are points of time when we need more devices i know that that in 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 my own instance if i'm looking for laptops i've now got to put in an order well in advance and if i want a lot if i know even suspect i'm going to need a lot i need to yeah. keep ordering so i at least get some coming yeah. through the, the supply chain TVs, right? There's a shortage of TVs. Is there all really? All kinds of things at the moment. Yeah, yeah, all kinds of, a lot of that I think is to do with some some of the chips, but the automotive industry has been massively affected by the semiconductor issues. There's also a lack so of silk. So, so it's, uh, mm. yeah, and it's not, not regular supply and demand. This is caused by obviously this, this major disaster that's befallen the entire world. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, guys, thanks so much for that. It was a very interesting and entertaining conversation. Um, obviously, some very uh, challenging times, no doubt, ahead for organisations. A little bit of a daunting thing to say, given the challenges that we've already been through in the last 18 months. But thank you both for joining us on the CIO Show. And we look forward to having you back on again very soon. Pleasure. Thank you, David. Thanks. It's been great. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it. The term best practice is certainly one of the most misused in business and technology circles today. At times one wonders whether it's almost become a euphemism for never mind the details and nothing to see here. Or some of the most ill-fated plans can be conceived with the best of best practice intentions. To sensible minds at least, best practice has a very specific meaning, implying at least a collection of tasks that improve ideally maximise the efficiency or effectiveness of the core business and or a process that supports it. It should also be something that's actually able to be executed as well as being replicable, transferable and adaptable across industries. In our next episode, we're going to take best practice back with a panel of experienced CIOs and analysts who will reassert its true meaning for digitally driven businesses in 2021. We hope you can join us. 